Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we do that in the spaces of sports, of music, comedy, books, church world, the like, great testimonies, on and on and on. And we get to cover many of those outlets, books, pastoral, with uh, a guy I can actually say I think is my friend. I've spent some time with Bob Russell down in Louisville, Kentucky. A lot of people know him as a longtime pastor of Southeast Christian, and he's written some books. And I've always told Bob, Bob, I love that you have such a fruitful, purposeful, focused life beyond pastoring one of the largest churches in our country, Southeast, and, and uh, staying in your lane in three areas. We'll get to that a little bit. But uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us today, Bob. Well, good to be with you, and I've always appreciated you and your friendship and your love for the Lord, and if, if we can be productive to help somebody today, that'll be great. Amen, amen, amen. Well, Bob, we're going to jump in here off script. So we were talking about golf before we got on here, because you like to play. You said nobody has more fun than you do playing golf. I was trying to talk up your score and maybe give you some cred that, you know, an eagle here, several birdies here, and you kind of shot that down when you were in the pulpit or even now when you're still in the pulpit do you ever use that famous joke people like to use about the pastor who skipped church on a sunday and went out and played golf and uh god supposedly gave him the grace to hit a couple hole in ones and peter's like hey god why why are you allowing him to get hole in ones and he goes who's he gonna tell (laughs) have you used that joke I, i heard that story years ago and I can't remember ever using it because it is so familiar. It's one of those stories you begin to tell it and everybody's looking to the neighbor and nod. And you heard this one, you heard that <laughs> one. And any kind of laughter you get out of there is polite laughter. You know what I mean? And uh, so that's a was a great story, but it's kind of threadbare these days. I don't know that I've ever used it. So we'll get to it later. You You are a big proponent of laughter beyond good medicine. It's just needed. It's good for the soul. I think it's... I think it's holy. Do you go out of your way at all to purposely watch, whether it's on social media or on YouTube? Do you look up little three, five, ten minute comedy bits just to give yourself things to Sometimes laugh at? I do. Uh, but my humor re- really doesn't usually come from yeah. somebody else. It's something I've observed or some kind of experience that I've had. Somebody sent me last week a church sign, and on one side it said, Pray for the boys who continue to vandalize this sign. And then on the other side is quoted a scripture from Romans, but if you do evil, be ready for the wrath of God. <laughs> and that's my kind of humor. Yeah, exactly. It comes out of real life. You yeah. Know? There's these two guys, well, there's actually a cast of characters, but one particular, if you go on like Facebook or whatever and look up the reels and they do these dad jokes and are sitting in a beautiful, it almost looks like, like a Vancouver type of setting or something, but they're telling these dad jokes in their delivery and they usually will wear maybe some different you know, sunglasses, the right hat, the whatever. 
these guys are ridiculously funny, but I'll sometimes go on Facebook and look up some of those dad jokes on reels and just give me a few minutes of good laughter. So there was a guy at Southern Baptist Seminary a couple of decades ago, and he did a his doctorate, I think it was, big paper on humor in the pulpit, and I was the one he analyzed. Really? And he said in the introduction, I'm going to use Bob Russell as an example because he has an effective use of humor in the pulpit, but basically Bob Russell is not a very funny guy. No. There, there was there was kind of a truth in that because I'm not the kind of a person that comes up and is is just automatically funny. It has to be intentional for me. But there are some comedians that you just look at them and laugh. Yeah. Somebody else could deliver the same line and it would just fall dead. But there are some people who are just basically funny people. But I think humor is really important, not just in preaching. It is important in preaching for a lot of different reasons because it kind of cultivates the soil. But humor is and laughing out loud is really important in life because we're supposed to be joyful people. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we express that is a merry heart does good like medicine. And I find myself laughing more at my age and enjoying life more than I ever did. Well, I saw a blog recently that someone had wrote and it kind of basically took some notes from content of yours and made it into a blog that they kind of spun. So it was somewhat original. And they talked about that. And I th- when I read that, I thought, how many times have I heard Bob reference humor? And I'm thinking, I, I would imagine most of the times between the Cove, Plain City Presbyterian, when you came to Springfield and spoke uh, a couple times, I thought, I think I've heard you use it most of the time. And I'm wondering, do you and Judy, whether it's at home streaming watching something or like going to a comedy show at a church or comedy club or something. Have you, have you done much comedy over the years watching a comedian do their routine? No, I haven't. I've watched a number on YouTube, but a lot of it is timing. And a lot of it is knowing you, you mentioned earlier, staying in your own lane. The Bob Newhart kind of humor mm. is a whole lot different There's than a great one. Jerry Lewis or sure. Jim Carrey. And, and I think you have to know your own sense of humor. And then if you're a pastoral preacher, your own people come to understand you and they anticipate when when you're saying something like, I'm, I'm speaking at the Cove in a couple of weeks. And I'm one of the things I'm dealing with is the, the woman who uh, poured the alabaster jar in, on Jesus' feet. And he said to Simon the Pharisee, she has been forgiven much. And whoever has been forgiven much loves much. And there's a guy who's going to be there named Gary Sims, who when he worships, I mean, Jeff, he he just, you know, some people just raise their hand. But I mean, he's up and he's, he's really into worship. And I'm going to say, you know, there are a couple of reasons that, that you see Gary worshiping like that. One is he is an extrovert. He's just mm-hmm. an outgoing personality. And the second is he's been forgiven a lot. Yes. And, and he and he will tell you he's been forgiven a lot because he spent 20 years as an alcoholic and he went through a tough marriage. And I said, I'm, I, you don't see me expressing myself like that because number one, I'm more of an introvert. And number two, I've never sinned. <laughs> <laughs> now you respond to that. Uh, I laugh. Yeah. But if you didn't, if you didn't know me, yeah. then you say, well, that's an arrogant statement. <laughs> but if, you're, if, you're, if your audience knows you yeah. and they, you come up with a, a, a line like that, they're, they're going to laugh. But that, I think you have to know yourself and know your audience. Yeah. You know, I always like to say this about you because I've, you know, got to know you. You mentioned the cove. I think anytime I hear that word, my skin just gets, you know, flowing and I can feel goosebumps because I love 
the cove and then right away I get very hungry because I want some food after I think about <laughs> the cove and just the beauty and going out on that big outdoor decky area where you get to see the mountains and whatnot. But we met there. You were gracious and let me and the guys I was with there have a meal with you one night. And then from there, I, I got to spend some time with you at Plain City Presbyterian with Pastor Alice. And when my friend at that point told me that you were going there, I don't know if you remember this. I remember saying to him, like, there's no way. Bob Russell pastors or did pastor Southeast Christian Church. He's probably going to a lot of big he's probably not going to Plain City. And you were. And I Googled it and I found out and you went. And your attitude has always been one of kind of if if God's in it and God wants it, you'll do it. And you don't get caught up in numbers, you don't get caught up in whatever. And yet numbers which are something that can drive a lot of people you've also experienced that you've always been available to me and i and i just love you know in a sense we don't want to be available to just anybody all the time every time whatever i mean at some point you're just gonna get run into the ground by people but that part of you that's available in a very maybe it's saying it too strongly but isaiah 6 type of way woe is me and i'm ruined here i am god send me i feel like that represents you pretty well do you wear that? Do you own that? Do you agree with that if people told you that? That's really important to me. I grew up in a little church. I, I always believe that, that passage in Scripture says, don't show favoritism to the poor or to the rich. You know, In other words, treat everybody fairly. And one of the outstanding things that we love about Jesus is if the rich young ruler came up to him, he had time for him. But if a blind beggar called out from the road, said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The disciples said, he doesn't have time for you. No, bring him here. I want and I, I think if we're followers of Jesus Christ, every person matters. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say that in a in false humility, because we do have to say no to sure. some people. And we do have to maximize our influence. But it, it amazed me how many times people of influence would say to me, you know, I watched you when that little old lady came mm. up and talked to you, yep. and you gave her as much time and attention as you did the CEO who came by. And everybody respects that. And I just think that's what Jesus would have us do. That type of attitude is always reciprocated. I mean, when you messaged me a few weeks ago and said, hey, Jeff, I got asked to play golf. I know it's during that time when we're going to meet. I mean, I'm thinking – how am I not going to let you do? I mean, like you're asking about that. Yeah, I want to serve you. I want to bless you. I mean, you've been great for me. You've been available. And I'm thinking that type of thing just gets reciprocated, reciprocated, reciprocated. So let's jump in before we get too far, because not everybody on here is going to know this. But what is your three-minute testimony, Bob? <laughs> well, I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. We were in a wealthy family. My dad and and mother were kind of blue-collar workers. We lived on a little farm in northwestern Pennsylvania. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And so when I was eight, I naturally knew I was a sinner. I gave my life to Christ, confessed him before the church, trembling like a like I was terrified. And the old preacher baptized me. And not too long after that, same old preacher put his hand on my shoulder one day after I'd quoted some scripture at a special program, said, son, you'd make a good preacher someday. So that was in the back of my mind. However, when I got into high school, I, I kind of strayed away from the Lord. And for a period, I still went to church because I didn't have an option. But I, I was a little bit rebellious and got into just interested in sports and mm -hmm. girls and 
Uh, if you'd asked me a junior in high school, what I was going to do with my life, I had no idea, but I, I knew what my goal was. My goal was to win the state championship in basketball. And uh, we had a really good basketball team, but we were in the state tournament my senior year and we're 14 points ahead in the last quarter and we fell apart. The other team shot and banked one in at the buzzer and went into overtime. We got beat. And I was devastated. My life, my life goal was over. Mm -hmm. And I was so depressed. My older sister, who was attending Cincinnati Bible College, asked me if I wanted to get away just to come down to visit her 400 miles away. And I went, had a great time. I remember walking away saying that would be a really good place to go to school if I wanted to be a preacher. But I don't want to be a preacher. I, mm. I don't like to get up in front of people. Famous about last words. Weeks, yeah. That was about three weeks later. My dad drove me to Clarion College in Pennsylvania, where the coach had expressed an interest in me coming and playing. And that visit went awful. I, I, I didn't like the school. I didn't like the gym. I did. I saw all the drinking and carousing. I said, I, I, I don't know if I could withstand all this temptation. Because in the back of my mind, I, I still had that understanding of who Jesus is. On the way home, I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I, I'm not supposed to go to Clary. And I, I'm supposed to go to Cincinnati Bible College and study for ministry. Wow. And uh, he dropped his jaw. I came home told my mother and she wept. She'd been praying for that. Wow. Well, when I was a teenager, she's praying I'd be a Christian, <laughs> but she'd been praying I'd be a preacher. And so I went and, you know, I never looked back. I, I, I met my wife in Bible college. I took a little country church outside of Cincinnati for a year and a half. Then I came to Louisville, Kentucky, a Southeast Christian church. It was just three years old meeting in a basement. I was 22 years old. And, uh, the elders there were outstanding. The, the the leadership there was just so supportive of me. In fact, when they went to the president of Cincinnati Bible College and they said, we've not been able to find a preacher. We think God's leading us to a younger man. We're going to hire a younger guy, and we're going to make him successful. Mm. And I thought that ought to be the motto of every eldership. Well, they gave my name among others, and so that's why they hired me at, in Louisville. And I thought I would always go back to Pennsylvania sometime, but I I liked it so much in Louisville, and God blessed my ministry there so much. I stayed for 40 years. The, the church was honored. Then I retired and from the located ministry in 2006, turned it over to Dave Stone. They did an outstanding job, he and Kyle Eidemann. And uh, I had another chapter in my life, and I've spent the last 18 years traveling and speaking and ministering to ministers. I don't know if that's three minutes or not, but that's uh, man. You that's what you, got to say about you knocked off a lot of stuff there that I wanted to talk about. I guess we haven't talked about this much in the past, but that ride home with your dad from Clarion, obviously it's a Holy Spirit thing. But what all is at play there? Was that the drinking? Was that just the gym? I mean, you mentioned a number of things there, but what made you go that? I mean, that's a pretty drastic decision when you had said. I'm not looking to be a preacher. I, that's not my thing. I mean, you could have looked at other schools. It, I mean, obviously, Clarion's not the only one like that. Cincinnati Bible's not the only one like that. Basketball was on, on your radar. How did you just that like that on a ride home say at Cincinnati Bible College? Jeff, that's one of those occasions in my life when I say the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, and it was God's intention for me to be a minister. I had not thought very much about being a preacher because when I was in high school, I was terrified to read in front of the class. I hated to get up in front of people. I just would cross that off. But the contrast of those two visits, I was so troubled on the way home. I knew somehow in my spirit this wasn't the right thing for me. And all of a sudden, the right path opened up. 
And I can't say, I, I wish I could tell you, I just prayed and prayed and prayed about what God wanted me to do. That's not the way it happened. Yeah. Um, I wasn't that spiritual when I made that decision. And it was a, it was a God thing. And I, I grew from that, but I look back on that. Wayne Smith, a friend of mine used to say, big doors turn on little hinges. Sure. And there are little events in life, like my sister inviting me to come down to visit her in Bible college or little events like things falling apart on that visit to Clarion that God uses to, to transform our thinking and our, our direction in life. So that car ride, was that mainly uh, you just kind of doing business with the Lord? Was that you and your dad having a conversation? And then how soon into the ride back did you make that announcement to your dad? If I can recall, I'm, I'm not talking about it with my dad. I, I probably said something, Dad, I didn't like their gym. Did you like their gym or something <laughs> like that? Yeah. I'm thinking basketball. Mm-hmm. I'm, so I'm sitting quietly and I'm I'm just churning, realizing this is not where I want to go to school. This is not right for me. And then I thought about that visit to Cincinnati and, and realized this is what I'm supposed to do yeah. in life. And I, I'm telling you, I, I hear preachers say they want to resign every Monday. I had discouraging times. And there are t- sometimes I think, what if I'd stayed in Conneantville and opened up a cream cone stand? Mm. You know, I joke about it, but I, I never came close to thinking about dropping out of ministry because I knew that's what God wanted me to do. So I want you to talk a little bit more about life now. You got kind of a three-pronged approach between mentoring, writing, and speaking. And I'm curious, I've never thought to ask you this before. Do you think at this stage now, are you getting more people who reach out to you about what they do post-career, kind of like we're... Dave Stone's been, or did you get more people reaching out to you back in the day from other churches and other senior pastors saying, Hey, give me your advice and wisdom now as a senior pastor. Oh. Two, two questions there. Yeah. I get more questions now. I'm not sure why people think I have more time maybe, but people, younger ministers know I've been where they are mm-hmm. and they, uh, I, I think there's probably some respect for 50-year track record or whatever, but I, I get an awful lot of people say, can I take you to lunch? Or I got an email just two days ago saying, I see you're going to be in April. You're going to be in our area. Could you possibly meet with, I've, I've read your book about seven things you do differently, seven things you do the same. I've lost your ministry from afar. So I do have a lot of preachers primarily asking to visit with me and sometimes business people, but I would say probably more now. When I was in the ministry, we did a lot of leadership seminars and people could come to them. So maybe there were more people who came to a seminar than would ask me personally, but I get more personal requests now. If this is a pie, split it up 100%. How much time are you giving to speaking? How much time are you giving to writing and then mentoring? And I want to make sure when we hear mentoring, people understand your primary focus is pastors, but you know we've got a good friend in Landon Wade who you've been a part of some stuff with business leaders too. So mentoring is not limited to pastors. Right. Right. Well, I made a list of, I think four or five things that I would like to do in retirement, because I think when people retire, they need to retire to something, mm-hmm. not just from something. Amen. The closer I got to retiring from a located pastor, the more excited I got about the next chapter. And down at the bottom of that list was mentoring retreats. Mm-hmm. Because I hadn't spent the kind of time with the Timothys from our own church that I had should have spent. And I thought, I'm going to call the guys that have gone out from our church and gone into ministry or mission work 
and bring them back uh, a group at a time and spend some time with them. And it was so productive when I did that. I thought maybe I ought to do this for other guys as well. So I started these retreats and we kept tweaking them and making them better. And I bring in eight guys. I limit it to eight guys because I want there to be interaction. I want it to be personal. And they come to Country Lake Camp, which is just outside of Louisville, for three and a half days. In fact, I'm starting one this evening. Oh, wow. And they they go through Thursday. And, Jeff, I have done 115 retreats. And I have 100 and some guys on a waiting list, and I've not promoted them. We call it a time of refreshing, and it's just a spiritual R&R for preachers. Mm. And I, I know we're really, really helping guys. So I would say that that's probably a big part of that pie of how I spend my time. And that's where I get a lot of requests. These guys not only come to my retreats, but they will email or text me and say, I'm going through this problem. Could I give you a call? Yeah. Or what do you think of this? Or I'm coming through Lowell. Can we stop when we have lunch? So that provides a, a give and take opportunity for me. I also write a blog every week, and uh, that keeps me thinking about current events and what's going on. And every once in a while, I'll touch on some cultural issue that ticks people off, and I get some really (laughs) interesting comments, but that's just part of it. But I, I, I probably am out 35, 40 weekends a year preaching at a church wow. somewhere. I try to I try to limit it to a week, two weekends a month, but there are opportunities that come locally and I I I just drive and speak on Sunday and I really enjoy that. I can go in and say what I want to say and I don't have to go to elders meeting. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love I mean there's just such a a fullness and yet I know your love and and, and passion and just season of life with with and for Judy, that you're obviously not going to be doing things at a detriment to your marriage at this stage and family and grandchildren and all that kind of stuff. And I want to kind of transition into that. So people know about you at all. They're probably familiar with this, but you guys have gone on quite a journey here recently in the last year or so with uh, Charlie, your grandson, his dad, Rusty, who uh, also is a pastor. What's what's kind of an update there? And then what what did you learn through that process about your son, your seed, your fellow pastor who followed on in your steps afterwards. And then what, what did you learn about God through what this difficulty Charlie's gone through? Well, my son Rusty preaches in Port Charlotte, Florida, down by Fort Myers. And he's been there for, I think, 13, 14 years. And he's had a really good ministry. But I learned that he's tough. He, he's He's been through a lot of ups and downs personally over the last decade went through COVID, which is tough on preachers. And then with the situation with Charlie, his son was 26 years old and got COVID really, really bad, went to the hospital twice seeking help. And they turned him away saying he wasn't sick enough to be admitted. The third time he went to the hospital, they immediately stat flighted him to a hospital in Nashville. And he was in intensive care for 77 days. He's on a ventilator, an ECMO machine, recircling his blood. He's on a dialysis machine, sedated for 77 days. A doctor wrote on his chart, high mortality. Another Mm -hmm. doctor told me, Bob, I've looked at his numbers, and we're down to divine intervention. And it did not look good. But Rusty, my son, would preach on Sunday and then get on a plane in Fort Myers and fly to Nashville and try to be with his son through all of that, just be at his bedside. And uh, he hung in there for that. 
And uh, I mean, Jeff, people all over America prayed for my grandson. A Bible college president said, Bob, I, I've been traveling all over the country raising money. I have never seen our brotherhood so united in prayer for one person as our brotherhood is for Charlie Russell. And uh, God heard the prayer. And what I learned is more confidence that God does intervene. Mm. He doesn't always answer prayer like we want, but uh, I, I learned that his word applies to me when mm. you go through tough times. Because if you're hurting for your grandson, you're also hurting for your son. Sure. And uh, we were praying as hard as we could pray. But, you know, the Lord lifted us up. We were able to function, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and his grace is sufficient. And somehow, miraculously, Charlie came out of it. He had a two-month-old baby that he met yeah. for the first time. And uh, that was uh, a little over a year and a half ago. And it took a year for him to come back physically. You go three months without moving your body. It is so weak. It's unbelievable. He's gone through a lot of therapy. And the Lord provided a physical trainer in his church that took Charlie on. And he's back almost 100%. And he was just added to the church staff two weeks ago, and he's, he and his wife working in the children's department, and it has been a dramatic answer to prayer that we're real thankful for. Wow. Rusty went through that. Then Hurricane Ian, which is toughest hurricane ever hit Florida, hit his uh, hit his area. High, the eye of the storm came right over where he was. And for the last year, they've been trying to bail people out and minister to people and to, to recover from Hurricane Ian. And Rusty, at the same time, has been really active in the high school football program in his high school. He's an assistant coach, and he's not just a chaplain of the team. He's, he never played a day of football in his life, and he's a, a coach of this team, and they're really good. And uh, two months ago, one of their lead coaches, 27-year-old, died in his sleep, oh. married one month, died in his sleep. Well, oh. The team was devastated. whole community just wow. shocked. They had a uh, service at Rusty's church, 600 people at the service. Well, the kids on the team, and it's, it's mostly, these are kids from rough backgrounds, many, no father in the home. They were so disturbed by this death of their coach. Rusty talked to them about salvation. And before he could even get to what they should do, they're raising their hands saying, what do we got to do? And in like three weeks time, they baptized uh, 30 kids in the Gulf of Mexico and three coaches. And it's kind of been a spiritual revival. Well, the local paper t- took it up. And last week, one of those uh, anti-Christian groups, Freedom From Religion, filed a lawsuit when they read the article that the preacher was too involved in the school. So now they got to face that. But, you know, Rusty has gone through all of those things. Yeah. And he keeps on preaching the word and i'm really really proud of him for persevering that's a long answer to your question but the the lord has really worked to reaffirm his presence and uh, the fact that he does answer prayer in in our life i try to keep up as much as i could within reason to what was going on with charlie back then on social media and you and judy and sharing stuff and i was just picturing the intimacy that you and judy were experiencing praying in your home at the hospital and thinking I bet there's oh, new heights true. and new levels of intimacy you and Judy experience, and she's such a sweet woman. Uh, your wife's great. You know what's interesting about what you're saying? I mean, gosh, that's a whole lot of stuff for Rusty to have to walk through, and it reminds me. I just saw a story 
yesterday or the day before, but Jenny Allen, who's you know probably one of our more significant female leaders, speakers, writers in our country right now for the gospel, she spoke at Auburn University recently, and I can't remember what the event was, but afterwards, I forgot how it came up, but something came about baptism, and they walked, I think somewhere on campus, and Jenny Allen got to baptize, and other people just started stepping up, and they were baptizing students at Auburn. This was... I think Isn't that great? Yeah, I mean, I love these kind of stories. You know, we talked before we got on here about Asbury and Kevin Brown, and he was just a guest on here recently and talking about what God was doing there. And it's like, you know, we, we can so focus on all the terrible, tough, you know, I appreciate about your writing. You do get into some tough topics about once a month or so or once every couple months, and we could just stick our head there and leave it and say nothing good's going on, or we can see God's good hand many times over, even in amidst the tough of hard, of tragedy. I mean, you, you guys have just lived that last few years so well, and there's a whole lot more I didn't even know about. You know, Scripture says where sin abounds, mm-hmm. grace abounds all the more. Amen. King James, my upbringing. But people are seeing how bad the world is. Mm-hmm. They're saying, how could we ever get to the point where we, we got men competing in swimming yeah. with women? And some of the things that are going on are just so extreme Grace can abound all the more. I think the fields are ripe for harvest. Amen. People are, are are ready to say, what's the alternative to this? And I, I have to tell you, the last six weeks, I've been to five or six different, they're smaller churches, 300 or so was a large church for me growing up. But I've seen some vitality and mm-hmm. some commitment in some churches. That, that There's some churches doing really well right now. Yeah, It doesn't get in the newspaper, but people have said, okay, we've had our fill. And what's the alternative? Jesus is our only hope. Mm. And I'm not, I heard a guy say the other day, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a monarchist. (laughs) There's a king who's going to come and save us. And that's Jesus Christ. And I think people are ready to hear that, hear the gospel. You know, I love what you shared there. I preached at a small church yesterday about 35 to 50. Uh, I think we're probably about 35 there yesterday. And I talked about the kingdom of God. So I was talking about a, a coming king and who is this king and use the Phil Wickham song and talk about kingdom and yada, yada, yada. And one of the things COVID did for me was, I'm going to be honest, I was a little, if you told me big church, medium church, small church, I was always maybe a little bit on the downside sometimes of small churches because I'd seen a lot, had an office for years in a church that was small that tended to have that one family and they controlled everything. And like, you know, where's the Holy Spirit here? Where's the gospel? Where are people coming to Christ? Where are people growing? But you know what? God really showed me over COVID and even since that there's some beauty, some good stuff going on at small churches. And using that as a platform to say, you mentioned about 120 was where Southeast was when you got there. You left 18,000, I think with, I think with Dave, it was low to mid 20,000. I think what Kyle's done. When you look back, Dave, when he was on here was so good about talking about his first year or two and how difficult that was as senior pastor. Some steps were taken back. Some people maybe weren't overly thrilled with the, you know, you're, you're gone. They know Bob. And he just, he woke up at times and he said, you know, he was really struggling that first year or two. These, these are Dave Stone's words, not mine. And then God kind of had a breakthrough there. When you look now or even back a little bit, when you think Dave Stone, you think Kyle Eidelman, what do you really respect about each one of those men in their time of leadership at Southeast? Well, Dave was surprised that it was as difficult as it became. And I got to say, I was surprised at that too, because he'd been on staff, he'd done preaching. But, you know, when, when a guy has been at a church for 40 years, 
there there are people who grow up with him. It's like dad died whenever whenever he leaves, and we weren't ready for that, and Dave didn't anticipate that. But I respect the fact that Dave stuck it out, and he toughened up through that. Mm. And you know, the thing that he did so well was that he had a vision for satellite churches. Mm. And one of the reasons I retired was I remember our last fundraiser. I said, I don't think I'll have to go through another fundraiser in my life. And then all of a sudden the idea of satellite churches came up and there was a whole vision. And I I don't know that I had the energy for that, but Dave did. And he had a vision for satellite churches and they started one after another. And I don't know of a church in America. There probably are that has done a better job at starting successful satellites as Southeast Christian Church. They've got like 14 satellites. A number of them run well over a thousand people, several of them two or three thousand, and they are churches unto themselves. But Dave had that vision and he carried it through. I was a little skeptical of these campus ministries at first, but looking back, I still have questions about what's going to happen to them in the future, but I can't deny that that's been the best way to win lost people in the last 20 years. Let me give you an example. I did some consulting with a little church of 100 people in Bullitt County, and I walked away from them saying, but those elders, they're not ready, and this church is is dying, and I don't know they're ever going to grow. Southeast came in and started a few blocks away with a, a, a satellite in that same area, and within a, a year, they're running 1,000 people. And that, that little church couldn't grow. And it's just a phenomenal thing. So I think that's what Dave did really well. Kyle Eidemann is one of the most effective communicators of Scripture and the Bible that I know. I mean, he can represent the Christian faith on television and in the media. He's very, very comfortable doing that. Excellent author. And uh, he, he's just an extremely, extremely talented guy in that position. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate where Kyle has been vulnerable, even as of late talking about, you know, he went on kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know if the right word's forced, but they could, people could just tell he was spent and he was kind of toast. And now he's got this book out that ties into kind of what God was teaching him through going through John 15 and really spending some time yeah. away. It's and, amazing. Isn't it definitely amazing how, how God uses different kinds of personality. Oh, hundred percent. You talk about the three of us. I'm different than Dave Stone. Dave Stone's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. You know, I, I, I like to teach. I want people to learn. He wants uh, people uh, to stimulate emotion and inspiration when he preaches. And Dave and Kyle are very different. Dave is pretty sensitive to criticism. It'll churn him and bother him. <laughs> criticism just rolls off uh, like water off a duck's back for Kyle. It doesn't bother him. And he goes on. So it, it's just amazing how God uses different personalities. And, and I, I think God used all three of us. You know, it's funny about Kyle, me and some of my friends who have been tied to Southeast over the years, we'll laugh sometimes about things he'll say in sermons, like when he'll reference going to Kroger and just being honest, like, I hope I didn't run into anybody and there's someone from the church and, you know, and he's super honest about <laughs> what is, what's going on in his head and then yeah. he goes and has to live that out in front of people. I'm like, man, Kyle is just not afraid to acknowledge kind of what's really going <laughs> on. He's telling, he's telling the truth. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. So let me ask you a question about, let's stay on Southeast for a minute. So if churches are going through a lot these days, figuring things out culturally, you know, where do you got to protect and fight for what's going on on the inside? Where do you go get relevant outside the four walls of a church? If Southeast 
20 years from now, if people are like, oh my goodness, they are struggling. They have gone the other way. They're in a really difficult time. What will have happened and where will things have gone astray? And if Southeast is thriving like never before and leading the way 20 years from now, much like they are in a lot of ways now, what will Southeast be doing well that we'll know that 20 years from now? Because you probably know the culture is still there enough and what's going on and handing the baton and handing the baton and all that kind of stuff. Talk about both ends of that, say 20 years from now. There is a secret behind the scenes to the reason that God has blessed Southeast Christian Church for a long time. It was a good church when I came, and and uh, God was, was in it. And one of the elders said, let's make it our goal to be a growing church, a healthy church for 100 years. But the reason that church has continued to be honored is because they have the right kind of elders, the right kind of lay leadership mm. behind the scenes. I told you earlier that the early elders went to the president of Cincinnati Bible College and said, we want to hire a younger guy and we're going to make him successful. Yep. And I can point to you, Jeff, I can give you illustration after illustration of how in my early years that they nurtured me along and helped me make right choices. But they had a humble enough spirit that they were willing to let me be the point man. They were willing to let me be the guy on stage. They didn't demand open time or microphone time. They were content to let me be the quarterback and they're running the interference for me. And that's been true all the way through. If Southeast continues to do well, it will be that they've got the right elders behind the scenes, encouraging and, and praying for Kyle Eidemann and nudging him in the right way, holding him accountable when they need to. If Southeast should go woke and, uh, just abandon the word of God, it would be because the elders have, mm. have let up. They've got the wrong kind of elders. But the, the secret is right eldership and honoring the word of God. I am a strong believer in the power of preaching the Bible and not compromising scripture. I'm also a strong believer in preaching the truth in love. And that's the, the balance that is hard to maintain. But it, I'm just really convinced of if Kyle or Kyle's successor down the road continues to be supported by good elders and they continue to teach and preach the Bible, God's word does not return empty. You know, you've always had that about you. You really emphasize elders. I've heard you share things like that before, lay leadership. And I was in a conversation with a pastor the other day and we were talking about a guy who left the church and he was really frustrated feeling like the church didn't reach out, care enough, do enough. And he wasn't counting all the people from the church who had reached out what he was really saying was pastors and staff and he, and there was some brokenness there that, you know, that, that it was a cause that partly allowed for that. But it's like, well, let's just be clear what you're talking about. You're talking about staff. The church is the church, all the people and people are reaching. So, and I just love how you kind of parallel that with your thinking. Yeah. I think people on the surface give too much credit to the preacher when the church does well. Or the opposite is true when the thing's going wrong. They're too much criticism, like a quarterback on a team. Mm -hmm. But if the elders and the preacher have a good marriage, that's the if, – if you've got unity at the core, you can go through a lot. Sure. It's when there's disharmony at the core. And I run into so many churches where the there's a tug of war going on between the staff and the elders or between the preacher and the staff, and the house divided against itself cannot stand. But that's why it's so important that there be a, a mutual love and respect and support from 
the eldership. You know, you look back at the first elders were when God said Moses was about to give up, and God says, you appoint 70 elders who are full of the Holy Spirit and who are leaders, and I will put the spirit that is on you on them, and they will help to carry the burden for you. Mm. And when the when the leaders of the church say, we're here to hold up the preacher's hand, we're going to help him get as many people to the promised land as we can. It's amazing how God can bless that. When you're talking, it reminds me, they say in the NFL, if you want a good organization, you want a good team on on an NFL football team, you need a good GM, a good coach, and a good quarterback. Those three working together well, being on the same page, will make a great NFL team. I want to get to your book. I think you know this. I've bought copies. I've given them to people. I love, after 50 years of ministry, seven things I do differently and seven things I do the same. I've given that book to lots of people. I think it is gold. It's way beyond pastoral. Seven years later, 2023, you rewrite, edit, change that book significantly. What would you change? And what are you more convinced of now than ever from that book? Well, one thing I would change, I talk in that book about I would pass the baton on when it came time to retire and I would step out of the way. Since then, I have run into a number of situations where the preacher has been able to stay in the church and has done it well. The experiences I had up to that point, almost every preacher who stayed after he retired was a thorn in the flesh for his successor. But if the preacher has uh, pastoral gifts and if the successor is wanting him to stay on, it's healthier for the church if they don't have to have the absence of their former preacher. I would change that particular chapter a little bit and be a little bit more lenient on preachers staying. I am more convinced that one of the points I had, if I had to do it again, I would preach expository preaching. I, I'm more and more convinced that what is what makes for a healthy church is a preacher going through a book of the Bible 80% of the time. Now, Jeff, I'm not talking about saying we're going to have a four-week series on the book of Ephesians, and I pick out my four p- favorite paragraphs on Ephesians. I'm talking about taking 14 weeks or 16 weeks and preaching verse by verse through Ephesians and making application from that, dealing with all of it. It keeps a preacher in balance. It feeds the congregation. Mm. It feeds the preacher. And it keeps us off some of our hobby horses. But it also forces us to deal with uh, difficult subjects in the, in the context in which it comes up in Scripture. So I, I guess if I'm more convinced about anything, it's uh, the need for expository preaching. I know there are a lot of diff- definitions of expository teaching. But like I said, some expository preaching is like a blind man tapping his cane from verse to verse. That's mm. not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about saying, here's what the Bible says. Here's how we apply it. Here's how I can illustrate it and making that thing come alive. Wow. Let's close with this. I love this quote of yours. I think I've actually heard you say this. I saw this online, but like I said, I think I've heard you say this and and we'll unpack the last word in here. You said 80% of success is just showing up. Sometimes the way we tell the Lord we love him is to get out of bed, put our feet on the floor and go about our daily assignments, even though we don't feel like it. That's called faithfulness. I mean, I'll be honest. I want to think about being fruitful. I send messages to people and a lot of times I'll close many blessings, much fruit. You focus on faithfulness. I need to think, and I'm constantly trying to lean in that lane 
encourage us with why faithfulness is something that's so important and we need to keep, keep our eyes focused on let's just be faithful. Yeah, Jesus said the sower goes out to sow seed. And some seed falls on hard soil, some seed falls on shallow soil, rocky soil. Some seed falls on fertile soil, produces 30, 60, 100 fold. And the difference isn't in the sower. The difference is in the receptivity of the soil. And our responsibility is just get out there and sow as much seed as we can. The harvest is going to be up to God. Some of us are sowers, some of us are reapers, some of us are cultivating water, but God gives the increase. And so I think our focus in ministry is how, how can I get out there and sow as much seed as I can? How can I get up and be faithful? Because if you're just depending upon emotion, you're, you're going to quit or you're mm-hmm. going to really slough off because there are times you feel like it and times you don't feel like it. But if you get in the groove and you say, okay, it's time to get up, I'm going to go. And, and I sometimes say to the Lord, Lord, there's one reason I'm getting up. Mm. That's because I love you. I don't feel like doing this today. I don't feel like going to this meeting. I, yep. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ha- but you know what? So many times, when you go through the motions of doing the right thing, inspiration comes to you and the best thing happens to you. And all of a sudden you come home feeling a whole lot better. You know, William James, father of modern psychology, had a lot of things you disagree with that he said, but he said, if you act the way you wish you felt, you'll eventually feel the way you act. Mm. And it's a lot easier to act yourself in the way of feeling than to feel yourself in the way of acting. And, and uh, Rick Warren says, you, you fake it until you make it yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And that's not hypocrisy. That's sure. obedience. Jesus said, when you fast, don't let the world know that you're fasting. Put on a cheerful face, comb your hair, wash your face, and the Heavenly Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we are not creatures who respond to feeling. Mm. We, we are people who are people of the word who respond in obedience. And that's faithfulness. And so many times, if you're just faithful every day, you show up every day, you, you, you do what's expected of you every day, then the inspiration comes as a byproduct. And, and that's writers will tell you that you sit there and look at a blank page. No, no inspiration comes. No, start writing. And and when you start writing, something comes. Bob, it's always a joy. You just, all that you just said there made me feel a lot better about myself because I don't know how many days I'll get up and say, Hey, I'm ready to go. And other days it's like, Oh, I need to stay in bed. I need a little bit of this. I need a little bit of that, whatever it is. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you feel. Yeah. It, it, what, what do you believe in your heart and how you respond? Yeah. So I love what you're saying there. Um, you, when I'm around you, zoom like this, being with you, hearing you the cove, you name it, you make me a better man. You make me a better leader. You make me a better follower of Jesus. And I just got that encapsulated in 48 minutes. So um, where can people find out more about you and keep up with you blog-wise and other? I just go to bobrussell.org, and I think my blog shows up on that. And they can get on the Cove website, thecove.org, because you're averaging. I'm going to to Cove next week, and I'm preaching a series on more and more like Jesus. And And you're you're averaging going there at least every other year, maybe every year to the Cove? I I go about every year now, yeah. yeah. I really enjoy going there, and Judy likes going, and we have a good time. So do I need to meet you in Louisville or are you heading up to Springfield to pick me up? Which is that going to be before you go to Cove? <laughs> be glad to have you. Oh. <laughs> you, Bob, you. You're good for my ego, Jeff. And I, I appreciate you. Appreciate your friendship and thank you. how the Lord Jesus and you. Well, Bob, have a great day. Always a joy to talk to Thanks, you. Thanks, Jeff. Good time, man. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation.
the Rise FM Podcast Network. <laughs>